This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Alexandra Lee, staff civil engineer at Burns & McDonnell, about her unique approach to engineering design, particularly in balancing traditional methods with innovation solutions in the realm of transmission and utility projects. This was an awesome conversation with Alex for someone who is six years into their career. She's extremely impressive. She's already doing a lot of client-facing and project management-oriented tasks, which we talk about. Also, she talks about all of the opportunities that are available for civil engineers in the transmission field today, whether it's traditional utility projects or renewables, which is something we just don't think about. And we really dive into the importance and some ways to become more well-rounded as civil engineers. Now, before we dive into the interview, we do want to just get a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Burns & McDonald. Here's a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Burns & McDonald. A career at Burns & McDonald goes beyond delivering projects. It's about owning outcomes, finding your best fit, and making a difference. Right now, Burns & McDonald is hiring engineers, architects, construction professionals, technologists, scientists, and consultants to design, build, and deliver environmental, conscious, and socially responsible projects. Explore opportunities across their family of companies by visiting burnsmcd.com slash careers. That's burnsmcd.com slash careers. Burns and McDonald is an equal opportunity employer. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the show for today. Alex Lee is a staff civil engineer at Burns & McDonald. Alex, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you taking the time. Let's start off. Maybe you can give our listeners a little bit of an overview of your role at Burns & McDonald and also kind of how you got to that point in your career. And just to kind of set the scene a little bit, I believe that you graduated from Kansas State with a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering back in 2017, but take us from then to now. Been at Burns McDonald for about six years now. Burns McDonald hired me into their overhead transmission group out of college, and I really had no idea what transmission lines were when I first started. So I spent a lot of time just learning, asking a lot of questions, understanding the drivers in terms of how we design transmission lines. And it turned out as I continued in my career, I really didn't enjoy engineering. I was always that person in math class that got the wrong answer, but had the right process, got that partial credit, you know, that got me through. And that really wasn't something that worked well in the real world. We actually actually have to have the right answer when we engineer things in the real world. So over time, I actually had mentors in my life who really showed me that maybe I had more project management skills um, and more of an outward facing relationship skill set. And so I actually have transitioned kind of to a role where I, I'm talking to clients day in and day out, 
I'm an account manager. So I have one client in particular that I maintain the relationship with, making sure that the design that we're doing is meeting their needs, understanding where they're going in terms of the work that's upcoming and kind of getting a team ready that's going to be able to support them in whichever direction they go. So that's kind of my role now. And I love it. For a lot of us as engineers, when we come out of school, we are doing the technical work, right? That's where we start because we just graduated and that's what we know. The stuff that you're doing in terms of client interaction, client-facing project management is some of the things that we'll need to do if we want to become very successful as engineers. And it's great that you've been able to start to do those things at a younger age in your career because it's going to, I would imagine, make it easier long-term because you're doing it now. Yeah. And who knew that's that was part of engineering, you know, like that we cared about making money too, you know, and things like that. No idea. No, it's a good point. I remember I went to a college university once and I was doing a talk for engineers on their careers. And one student came up to me and said, you know, I'm really excited to do engineering because I absolutely hate writing and speaking. And I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, between like reports and planning board meetings and decision boards and stuff, I'm like, no, maybe you should reconsider that. So yeah, but it's a good point to make is that I think engineers in school have this like perception of what an engineering career is. And then you kind of get out there in the real world and you're like, wow, there's a lot of other pieces to this that I wasn't really aware of. Yeah. And I honestly was the exact opposite. Like when I started at school, I was between writing and math. And my mom was like, well, it'll be easier to switch out of engineering to switch into it. And so I was like, okay, I'll do that. And uh, I'm so glad that there is writing and engineering because otherwise I wouldn't make it. And it's a good point by your mom because I always tell people, you know, if you want to do business, you might want to start in engineering, see how you like engineering. And then if you don't like it, transfer into business because you can't do it the other way. And if you graduate with an engineering license, you can still actually go into business. But if you graduate with a business degree, you can never get your engineering license. So it's definitely something to think about. And so if someone were to ask you today, of course, what do you do? You would tell them that you work in the transmission and distribution division at Burns and McDonald's. So when did you first learn about transition engineering and you know what kind of sparked your interest in that field? I learned about it in my interview. And I, at the time, was honestly trying to figure out what it was. I thought transmission, maybe cars, potentially. I don't know. I spent the whole time trying to ask coy questions to understand what are transmission lines. I think most of college, I really struggled to be interested in the classes I was taking and things like that. I didn't really understand what I was learning applied to the real world. And once I got into the transmission line industry, I realized, oh, like for me to get home and like turn on the lights, like there was a lot of effort that went into making that possible, starting from, you know, the generation of it, but then getting it from that generation all the way to the grid and then dropping down the voltage and so that it could get into my house and then dropping it again. So that way, I don't Yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of electrical engineering involved, but it was just interesting to see the real life application, I would say. And the industry itself is kind of evolving a lot right now. You've probably seen in the news with the Inflation Reduction Act, things like that. Renewables are on a major spike right now. And as a whole, I would say that the industry still doesn't know how we're going to deal with that. You know, there's tons of possibility for generation from wind and solar and things like that, but it's so far from where people actually are. And so transmission lines are really what's going to get the power that we have in the future to the people that need it. So there's a lot going on in the industry. It's super interesting right now. We try to solve some really big questions. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's why engineering is fun. It's, it's just problem solving. 
as a civil engineer, and I mean, this is the civil engineering podcast, a lot of our listeners are civil. And I think what, from what you're saying, it just reinforces that there are a lot of opportunities for civil engineers in different aspects of the industry. Decrepit infrastructure and infrastructure funding being one of them, transmission and renewables being a whole nother avenue that you could go down as a civil engineer, which I think is exciting about one's career because you could really change it up from time to time as a civil engineer. What's important also for listeners to know, because I'm sure a lot of the listeners have internship programs in their companies, and I know Burns and McDonald has an awesome internship program with many, many interns, is to understand that what you just described in your interview is something that a lot of these interns are going through, which is they don't even know what they don't know, right? So they might have skill sets that can be applied to one area of your business, but they don't know that that area of your business exists. So you trying to figure that out and kind of connect them there kind of like what someone was talking to you about transmission engineering in the interview, is a very important part of, I think, building and growing a firm sustainably, like putting the right people in the right seats. And I actually think it's one of the challenges that the civil engineering industry is up against is that when you graduate as a civil engineer, there's a million things you could do. And I don't think people know 75% of those things other than, hey, I want to be a design engineer. I want to be, I know for me, it was like, I want to be a structural engineer because that sounded cool to me type of thing, you know? Oh, build buildings. That's fun. Right. So I think it's a really important point to make for those of you thinking about growing your company organically and creating that internship experience, like educating them on the different types of opportunities is important. And so that being said, you got into transmission engineering and kind of throughout your career so far in transmission engineering, what would you say has been like the most surprising or maybe unexpected aspect of discipline or that niche that you've encountered? I think what's so crazy is how much we don't know. I'll never forget like maybe a year into my career, I ran across an issue. I was trying to design a structure versus a specific loading scenario. And I went up to my lead because I had questions. I was like, I don't understand. Like this isn't making sense to me um, what's going on when I'm looking at this in my model. And she said, oh, I don't understand what's going on either. Let's go ask this subject matter expert who's been in the industry for 20 years and see what he has to say. And we walk over to his desk, we ask him the question, and he says, I don't know the answer. And I was like, floored, wait, you've been in the industry a couple of decades and you don't know the answer to my question? I think I just assumed that, you know, we had all the answers, like all the math had been figured out, basically. I mean, it's probably true of most of civil engineering, but we're still asking questions. We're still learning. And it's not like in school where, you know, you can just go find the answer in the back of the book. Like we are actually creating in this space. And so I think that's what's been most unexpected to me and, and what keeps me enjoying my job and my current role too. If someone in the industry for 20 years doesn't have the answer, that means that it's just a very evolving and, and new industry, right? And there's lots of different opportunities for, it really takes like limitations off of like your age or your experience level because it's like everybody doesn't know what's going on in this industry because it's evolving so quickly. It's adapting so quickly. There's new tech and there's all kinds of stuff which really, to me, kind of levels the playing field. And if you're a younger civil engineer, there's unlimited opportunities for you. I mean, I've, I've been saying this on this podcast probably for years, literally, because I always say that there are, like right now, someone's going to graduate as a civil engineer this year, and there'll be jobs available to them in three to six months that aren't available right now. New things on roadways, new tech, new sensors, new programs, like all types of stuff. And so... To me, that's why civil engineering is really exciting right now. And with all the infrastructure funding and things coming, I think it'll continue to open up new doors. And tell us about some of the types of clients that you work with in the transmission realm, their needs, their expectations for those that maybe aren't that familiar with transmission. 
So this is actually one of the first questions I asked in the interview that I was in trying to get this job because I was just like, who are you guys even working for? Who's buying these services? So the main clients that we have are traditional utility companies. So the people that you are literally paying your utility bill to every day, which when I started my job, I hadn't paid a utility bill yet. So that answer really didn't help me. But all that to say, traditional utilities are the people that are trying to make sure that when you flip on your lights, that there is power there. They have a huge need for reliable designs, things that are going to be safe, you know, with the pg e wildfires, things like that. Like there's a lot of scrutiny when they fail, but otherwise people don't really think about traditional utilities and how they're getting power in their homes. The other types of clients that we have are renewable energy companies. And so people that are building wind and solar farms, battery storage all across the country, and they're trying to tie in their power into the traditional grid. Their needs and expectations, I think, are a lot different. A lot of times they are way less knowledgeable in terms of transmission engineering. You know, they have a lot of knowledge on the battery technology that they're putting out there. They have a lot of knowledge on developing projects and talking to landowners, figuring out whether there's enough wind in South Dakota to justify putting in a massive turbine, things like that. But they don't know much about how to transfer that power. And so I think what's cool about working for those types of clients, and that's majority of who I work for, is that you get to kind of educate them on the things that you need in order to do your design well, on what kind of decisions that they could be making in terms of land or um, how they're going to approach environmental constraints, things like that, that would add cost to the project. And really just there's a lot of value that we can provide to renewable energy clients um, because they haven't standardized as much. And they're really coming in kind of fresh to the area. They also aren't as familiar with the regions that they're building in. Traditional utilities, you know, they've been building transmission and distribution and things like that in their specific region for decades. You know, they've been serving their customers there. And so they have a really good understanding of the geotechnical conditions and what kind of soils are out there. They know how often it, there's an ice storm compared to a snowstorm, things like that. Whereas renewable companies are coming in and they're like, we don't know anything. We need it online as fast as we can for as cheap as possible. And so really just different players. And I think both are really fun to help in different ways. And one thing I know about renewable companies, maybe not all of them, but they have money. I was interviewing one of the someone from a renewable company on, a, on one of the podcasts recently, and he was saying that he was working on a project, and it was, and maybe this is like company and project specific, but he was saying like it was timeline was the restricting factor, not the budget, because you know they had plenty of money, but there was like things have to get done so quickly in the renewable industry. So, which again, that's pressure, right? If you're working in an industry, of course, but. There's a lot of opportunities is, is the bottom line out there. So, Schedule is huge. Traditional utilities, they're like, okay, we just have to do this many projects this year. We have to spend this much money this year. Renewable is like every single minute that we don't have this site online, we're losing money. So definitely a different approach. So among kind of the, the projects that you've worked on so far, is there certain ones you find more fulfilling or enjoyable? Talk to us about the project types. So my favorite kind of transmission line project is going to be a competitive transmission job. So it's a very a specific space, but there is this policy that came out from FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. I think it was back maybe in like the 2010s, early 2010s, um, called FERC Order 1000. And it basically established a competitive process that regional transmission op- operators or RTOs, so people over utilities, they can study their system and identify, hey, if we put a transmission line from here to here, we could actually save our 
customers tons of money because we could more efficiently transfer power in our system. And rather than just saying, okay, well, the where this line is, it's best that's in this utility's footprint. So they're going to build it. They actually can go out and competitively bid that project. And any utility can try to compete to win that project. I have supported my client in, in trying to win those types of projects. And it's very unique because rather than us making assumptions in terms of what is going to work best, they're really asking the question like from every stage of the project, from where we're going to route it to what kind of structures are we going to install? How much power do we want to put through the wires? All those kinds of things. They're asking what is the best solution? And they're not making any assumptions about what the answer is. And so it's kind of fun because you're designing kind of from the beginning and you get to be a part of a lot of decisions that a lot are oftentimes already answered when projects come to you in the more traditional sense. A lot of times they already know where it's going to be. They already know what kind of poles they're going to install, things like that. And you're just kind of like, honestly, in some ways, plugging and chugging. There's definitely nuance, but you're taking standards and you're applying them. Whereas for a competitive transmission project, a lot of times you're creating something new and kind of trying to learn as much as you can about the project area to come up with the best solution. And of course, there's a very short window on how much time you have to do it. And so it's a very different team dynamic. I think it's you get to build a really solid relationship with your clients in that situation because everyone's involved in everything all at once. It's more of an agile project management style since every team has to be working at the same time and keeping in communication because you can't afford, you don't have time for each person to do their thing and then pass it to the next team. You kind of all have to do everything at once. And so it's definitely a different approach to design and it, it kind of, it's fun. There's definitely an opportunity for seams of conflict and things like that. But it's also, I think, an opportunity to create something really cool and really different that best, best suits um, ultimately the ratepayers, you and I, who are trying to you know, just have the cheapest utility bill we can. So would you say the biggest difference between like the traditional transmission utility projects and the renewables is, is that schedule, like the timeline? Yeah, that's probably that and, and really like how they're getting their projects funded. So they make their decisions differently because traditional utilities... They have to be able to prove prudence, essentially, in, in spending the money that they spend, but they're pretty much guaranteed an 8% return on every dollar that they spend. Whereas a renewable company, they're going to get paid for the power that they're generating. And every single dollar that they spend getting that asset online is going to take cut from their profit. So they kind of have a different mindset from the beginning of, well, a lot of times they are well-funded, every single dollar they're spending getting the asset online cuts into the profit as opposed to every dollar that they spend, they're going to get rate recovery on because they're going to just charge you and I for in our utility bill for that asset. It's always kind of a question that I had or just a thought process around these like traditional utility companies, right? Like the companies that give us our gas and electric at home. It's like they're private. How are they characterized? Well, it depends. There's IOUs, there's investor-owned utilities, and so they're kind of like publicly held, you know, and they, they have to put out financial statements each year. There's munis, municipalities, co-ops, things like that, which those are really interesting where the people that are paying the utility bills actually own the utility also. So that's really a unique setup. And a lot of times the people in that situation that we're working with that, are, that we're doing the design for also are an owner of the utility. So that's kind of interesting. And then the other one is there's, I'm from Nebraska and they're, they're public utilities. So actually the state owns the utility. So kind of a different situation there too. 
it's one of those things, I guess, like there's various ways to that, that it happens. But in terms of innovation is key today in any field, especially in, in engineering, in what you do, how do you kind of keep your design approach kind of fresh and, and innovative in a field that a lot of times is kind of seen as rigid and traditional? I think it's really important to always be asking why and not accept the status quo. So for instance, one of the bigger innovations maybe that have happened in the industry in the last decade or so is we started moving towards using guide steel structures. So traditionally we only, which a guy wire, that's just like a wire coming off of a pole that's supporting the structure, which you see that all the time in your neighborhood. You see wood pole lines, distribution, lower voltage being supported by guy wires. But in the recent time period, have we started guying large steel structures and saying, hey, rather than making the pole withstand all of the load by itself, like let's give it assistance in a guy wire. What's interesting is I think a lot of people, when they first heard about that idea, they were like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Why would we do that? We have something that works. You know, like, why do we need to save money here? And also, guy wires aren't really pretty. Most of the landowners don't love them, but they do save costs. When we innovate, we have to continue to ask why we're doing it that way. If there's maybe new drivers to the industry that are causing that would maybe justify a different approach, you know, and so recognizing that, hey, we need to get more transmission on the grid than we ever have before for maybe we need do need to start saving money so that we can get more of it deployed or, you know, there's procurement issues that are going on right now where we can't get like the timeline to for supply chain to get us the poles that we have on order is so much longer than it's ever been. So maybe instead of waiting until we have all the information, maybe we come up with an approach where we do standardize and we just buy a bunch of poles up front and then we figure out where to put them, that kind of thing. And so just kind of asking rather than just sticking to, oh, we've always done it this way. So we have to resist anyone trying to push us in a different direction. Instead asking, why are we trying to do it different? Maybe there is a solution if we understand our risk profile, if we understand the purpose of it. Maybe we could come up with a design that that satisfies the new constraints that are they're constantly changing, the things that are influencing our design. So that's what I'd say. It's something I think that's real value add for consultants to be able to help their clients think through some of these challenges in today's world. Like, you know, do they want to take on the extra risk of buying the poles up front or buying more poles up front or where they're going to put them and how much is that going to cost them? And I think if you can help your clients navigate some of those things, it's huge in terms of the value that you're driving because it could be make or break their projects. It could get a project done on time only because they had ordered the poles earlier, only because you recommended them to, right? So I think as a consulting engineer, for all the listeners, that's something you want to think about, right? And even when you think about innovation, it's like, what can we do that their consultants that are working for them right now aren't doing to add more value, right? And so I think you kind of really need to think that way. That's super important. Given your background in kind of natural resources and environmental sciences, how do you kind of integrate environmental considerations into your projects now? I'm kind of going different avenues with you, but that's an interesting one. People never understand why I have a natural resources and environmental sciences uh, secondary major. But K-State offered it, and I was like, that's interesting to me. I thought I was going to clean water in Africa when I originally signed up for that, and obviously I'm still not doing that. But I think what is interesting is civil engineering on its face value, its goal is to try to build something that interacts with the environment in a way that it like stays standing for a long time. And so really, we're all just trying to understand the environment, kind of make assumptions 
on what's going to happen and then make a, come up with a design that's going to withstand those environmental factors. And so I think what's interesting is we don't really know, which is why we have safety factors, you know, and we decide, oh, well, it's really critical that this thing doesn't fall down. So we'll multiply by three. But I think my environmental background really taught me to really just have like a research mentality, I think, when it comes to understanding the environment, being more of a learner in terms of what are maybe the environmental factors that we need to take consideration that might influence this project. For transmission line engineering, it's like, oh, is there wetlands? Do we need to avoid placing a pole because there's some sort of natural resource out there that we need to not influence? Or what kind of permitting processes are in place in order to maintain you know, certain wildlife habitats, things like that. I have a project where we're going to take down quite a bit of wildlife habitat. And so we're basically, my client's paying for credits to restore habitat elsewhere in order to counterbalance that. So those kinds of things are definitely taken into consideration. What's nice about what you've accomplished in a short time in your career is that you have a lot of different values or different things that you can lean on in your career. You've got the background in civil engineering as a degree. You've got that the major in, in the environmental background. You've learned now about transmission engineering. Obviously, you're trying to do innovative things wherever you can. So I think like as a young engineer, for those listening and even for those developing engineers, that's really what you want to think about is like, what are the different ways that I can add value to my clients, to my projects, to my company? And I feel like if you accumulate some of these, it gives you in your career like a lot more flexibility and a lot more options because there are different things you can do, different ways you can go. And again, going back to the first thing that we talked about was also the people side of engineering, right? Like you said, more client-facing stuff, whether it's presentations or meetings or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, one of the things that I always like to talk about on this show is be well-rounded as a civil engineer, learn different things, build your soft skills, build your technical skills. And so that kind of leads me to my last question in this segment, which is what advice kind of would you give to young engineers who do aspire to maintain a creative approach in their careers, right? Particularly when you come to engineering, which is very technical, very black and white, very, we have an answer. What is your kind of final thoughts on that? The first thing that comes to mind is to know your value, because I think we stunt our creativity when we have a thought and we immediately squash it because we're like, oh, there's no one that's going to find value in that. Whereas if we have a thought and we just bring it to someone and we're like, hey, I have an idea. I'm not sure if it makes any sense at all, but like, what do you think about this? That's when we actually get to come up with something new and creative and kind of almost change the industry in some ways and in some small way. But if we don't believe that we have value, if we immediately quash those thoughts when they come to us, if we are too afraid to speak up in a meeting because we're the new person, we really, I think, stunt our ability to show that value and honestly to enjoy the role that we're playing in our careers. So that was my first thought. And my other one was just to maintain a wide focus. I think we are able to be more creative when we actually see how our small piece of the puzzle is fitting into the larger picture. And so if we're asking questions on, oh, why is this a permit that we're trying to seek or why are we having to move forward with procurement this way or whatever it is, like understanding the bigger picture on what's influencing the little things that get told to us, I think helps us to come up with more creative solutions to our problems when we actually have a good understanding rather than just accepting, oh, yeah, you told me to do this, so I'm going to do it. So just keeping that wide focus and and it goes back to what you said before, like you were working on a project, you didn't understand, something didn't look right. So you went to your supervisor, went to a mentor, went to anyone that you're working with and asked them the question, kind of be a sponge, learn as much as you can, and you will continue to grow. 
All right, we'll take a quick break with Alex. We'll come back and we'll wrap up by putting her on the civil engineering career hot seat. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, we are back with Alex Lee, staff civil engineer at Burns and McDonald. And Alex, it's time for our civil engineering hot seat. You ready? I am. All right, so first question, do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? I pride myself on not having a routine, never doing my day the same way twice. I have had multiple coworkers encourage me to read the book Atomic Habits, and I've downloaded it and not listened to it about six times. But the one thing that I did think of was I always drink coffee in the morning and I spend, I my faith is really important to me, so I spend um, some time in the morning in prayer. But I think the one thing that would be useful to, for all people would be to think about, I think through everything that's happening in my day upcoming, and I think about what's in my control and what is not in my control. I think we stress and have so much anxiety um, throughout our days thinking about all this stuff that we actually have no ability to influence. And that all that does is leave us paralyzed and feeling incapable and X, Y, Z. And so I try to think through that at the beginning of the day. Of what can I do to influence what's on my agenda for the day? And what should I just ignore? Because I can't control it. Is there maybe a book or an author or a leadership philosophy or just something that you've come back to that you learned about one time in your career and you kind of come back to it and you've leaned on it throughout your career? Anything like that that you've leaned on that's been helpful for you? There's this quote that I really appreciate from a guy named Charles Hummel, and it says, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important things. And I think that's really important in my role in consulting engineering, but also in life in general. When we let whatever just hits us, whatever email comes into our inbox or any phone call that we get be the main priority, I think that really hinders us from making the progress that's meaningful to us and and meaningful to maybe the bigger picture of where we're trying to go. I'm a huge proponent of the 80-20 rule. For those that aren't familiar with it, you know, it says basically 20% of your actions are driving 80% of your success. And so to your point, it's not about what's coming at you in the moment. It's about those 20% of your actions that are going to drive your success. That's what you really need to stay focused on. And sometimes it's a bit of a challenge because you're like, there's lots of stuff that you could focus on. But I know you've been in your career for only six years, but no doubt you've had some managers along the way through those six years and maybe even before that as an intern. If you think back on some of your managers, and, and you don't have to name names, but if you think of some of your favorite managers what was it that made them your favorite? Like we're trying to understand in our industry, what makes for great leaders, great managers? My favorite manager, the thing that he did really well was bring me into what he was working on. So no matter what it was, he would send me a random email and be like, hey, this is something that I'm responding to. Or, hey, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this thing to the client. Or, hey, this thing came up recently in a meeting that I was in. What are your thoughts on it? And I think that one, he just was recognizing that what his current role was, was more interesting to me than my current role. So he's just trying to keep me from quitting. But also, I think it was helpful to me to kind of affirm like, hey, my opinion in this space and these kinds of decisions might actually matter. And he's kind of helping me shape an understanding of what the influences are that I'm going to have to make decisions in the environment that I'm going to have to make decisions in down the road, potentially. So just kind of gave me opportunities to see what was kind of ahead and kind of maybe plan for that in the future. And then also just gave me too much advice and all that I was doing 
one of the best things he said to me was, you need to be better at allocating the resource of Alex Lee. He was like, you need to know what only you can do and do those things. And if someone else can be doing what you're doing, you shouldn't be doing it. And that was really helpful to me to, in terms of, yeah. That's good advice. You know, pair that with your other advice of focusing on what's important. I think if you put those two things together, that's pretty powerful. All right. So I've got one final question for you. We call it the critical civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer, maybe they're up and coming in their careers, you only have 30 to 40 seconds with that person to give him or her career advice. What would you tell them? I would say never stop learning and get in the field. So until you see your designs become reality, like, and see what it takes to build what you are putting on paper, you'll never have a full grasp on what decisions you should be making in terms of design. So I'll never forget, I went to the field and we're like walking from pole to pole that I designed and we walk up to one of them and the construction manager goes, what's wrong with this one, Alex? And I was like, I don't know what's wrong, what's wrong? And I like look at it for like 30 seconds. And I'm like, oh, it's missing a hat. There's these hats that go on the poles that keep the birds from sitting on them. And it's a really easy thing to miss that it wasn't there, but I did find it. But at the time I was like, he's putting me on the spot because he's like, you're the engineer and you don't know anything, which is fair, honestly. they The construction people are so wise. I recommend just get in the field and ask them every question you can imagine. Get all of their ideas. They've been in there for a lot longer than you have. They know what works and what doesn't. And they're going to give you really good thoughts that are actually going to help you make a design that's better for everyone. Alex, we really appreciate your time today. I think you gave a lot of gems in this one to civil engineers out there that can really help them grow in their careers. And we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to do it. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alex today. She is a very impressive young engineer. She's doing awesome things already, and I think she's going to have a, a wonderful career. And I hope she provided some inspiration around being well-rounded and really looking for opportunities in your career. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Dot org.